Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to the Brian Hyde Show on the Loving Liberty Radio Network. I am very happy to connect once again with my friend Eric Peters from epautos.com. Eric, are you staying free these days? Doing my best, and hopefully you can hear me, even though I'm uh, not wearing my mandatory face diaper. <laughs> We're going to talk about uh, about mandatory masks coming up in the next segment. Uh, there, there is so much chaos and, and unrest going on right now, and, and, and such a dark um, racial component to a lot of this violence. I just I want to get your take yeah. on what you see happening around the nation. Wh- what does it look like from your vantage point? Well, it's divide and rule. Uh, I, I wrote an article about this and about the tactic that was first articulated by by Caesar himself about keeping people at each other's throats so that they don't recognize the real source of their woes. And that's what's going on right now. I think you and I discussed last week that this problem with the police isn't really a race problem. It's an authority problem. Uh, these, these, these police are doing things to brutalize people irrespective of their skin color. Yet it's been characterized as uh, sort of a KKK-esque crusade against black people, which is such a tragic thing. Uh, they are taking us away from considering each other as individuals who should be evaluated on the basis of our individual merits or lack thereof, and trying to, I use the word, agglutinize us, turn us into mobs and blobs of, of, of entities that are naturally at odds, uh, that have no individual merit, that must be considered, this is identity politics, in terms of what the color of our skin is, what our sex is. Uh, things of that nature, which completely destroy our, our individuality and therefore play into the hands of these collectivists. And collectivism has to be authoritarian. You have to have somebody to run the collective. So you see how the whole thing kind of works out. I know for me personally, when someone talks about uh, some of the divisions now in terms of Democrats versus Republicans or the left versus the right, red versus blue, um, I kind of tune it out because I realize they're, they're not seeing the bigger picture. They're still kind of stuck with that tunnel vision. But when I hear someone yep. like you're doing, describing it as the collective versus the individual, that's when I pay attention because I realize mm-hmm. that's where the real battle is and has been all along. Of course it is. Uh, we can only be held accountable as individuals for what we have individually done. The idea that we are somehow responsible for what our quote-unquote group has done is perhaps the greatest moral non sequitur I can think of. Uh, how do you do that? How do you how do you morally justify punishing somebody or blaming somebody because somebody who happens to share the same ethnicity uh, or cultural background or whatever did something to some other person a hundred years ago or fifty years ago or five years ago? It's the most bizarre, irrational, immoral thing I can come up with. No, I I agree. And and I'm grateful for those individuals. Uh, I, you're probably familiar. You've, I, I'm guessing you probably heard of G. Ed Griffin. Yeah, of course. Okay, he's he's the guy who I think first really woke me up to the idea that it's not left versus right. You know, the the rub, the friction is coming between the collective versus the individual, and and that's where the solution lies. If we protect the rights of the individual, if we hold those sacred, and make sure that every individual's rights are being protected automatically it takes care of everybody. But when we break us up into groups, like you say, all we do is we end up as little squabbling tribes. That's right. We pick at each other over these non-essential, non-fundamental things, whereas the true equality is that everybody has equal rights and that our equal rights must be 
respected and protected. And, and that transcends race, it transects age, any other metric or uh, categorization that you'd like to come up with. And that's the beauty of it. We're all human beings, uh, regardless of where we came from, our age, our color, our sex. We have the same, as Jefferson put it, inalienable right to, um, to self-ownership and all that proceeds from that. No, I'm, I'm with you. And, and again, I'm grateful that you are among the many cogent voices out there making the case that there's, there's, a, a, there's a better way to view this in terms of clarity. Talk to me about, uh, about where, where you see this headed right now. And, and I know that could be a potentially gloomy answer, but um, the course yeah. we're on does not seem sustainable to me. What, what are you thinking? Well, no, of course it's not sustainable. It's going to end up going one way or the other, and there are a lot of ways that it could go. Uh, obviously, it could go in a bad way. Um, it, it could lead to even more authoritarianism, uh, as the uh, the powers that be uh, promised to reestablish control to keep us safe. You've heard that tired old tune before. Um, but it could also go in a better way. Uh, for example, one of the things that's percolating up that I'm in favor of is that we get rid of the doctrine of qualified immunity for people who work as cops, so that just like doctors who have to carry malpractice insurance, they can be held personally responsible for the things that they do to anybody, irrespective of what their color is uh, or what their sex is. And that will naturally act as an incentive to good behavior, I think. That's one of the good things that could happen. Another good thing is that we could see some decentralization. Instead of having, uh, having to be ruled from afar by people in state capitals and in the capital of the country in Washington, perhaps we could go back to more local control where things are decided at the level of your county or your town. Uh, not perfect, not ideally libertarian, but I think preferable to having a centralized remote authority that doesn't know you and isn't interested in your concerns. Boy, amen. That's <laughs> that describes well uh, the, the trouble as I understand it. What about uh, what about this this push right now to divest ourselves of all historical symbols? Everything that came before us apparently was wrong. Well, certain things only. You know, right now there is being uh, a war is being waged against Western culture generally uh, under the guise of going after. Uh, supposedly racist figures from the past. But it's now including even Jesus. I don't know if you've caught the latest, but did, uh, you yeah. know, likenesses of Jesus must come down because they too represent the evils of the Western cultural patriarchy, white supremacy, yada, yada, yada. And it's got a very Taliban-esque flavor to it, this despoilation of the monuments of the past, which amount to trying to efface the history of the past, which was done in the Soviet Union, which was done in uh, China under Mao and in Cambodia under Pol Pot. Remember year zero where they just decided that uh, everything begins from now and everything that happened before uh, must be literally physically exterminated. This is a, a luminously dangerous, alarming trend. And I, I can't remember who it was who coined the phrase uh, the, the end of history, but I believe that was the, the ultimate goal. Francis Fukuyama, I think, was the guy who did that. Okay. And, the historian, and, yeah. I, I, I see a disconnect, you know, or at least an attempt to disconnect us from our past. Um, very dangerous stuff in that if you don't know where you came from or how you got here, uh, you become pretty malleable in the hands of whomever happens to be in power. Of course. You go to Rome today and you'll see, for example, statues of Nero, who was not a nice guy. But nonetheless, we know about Nero and we learn from the history of the past. These monuments reflect a time in history. Uh, they, they don't oppress us today. To say that you are oppressed by a statue is fatuous. It is contrived. Uh, it is ridiculous. So this is an attempt to stifle conversation, to stifle history, to impose 
a totalitarian worldview that will be decided by this clack of people uh, who are attempting to shame anybody who disagrees with this as somehow being a Klegel in the Ku Klux Klan. And we must not bow to that. So what do you recommend? I, and I'm talking like on the individual level. When, when a person is faced with this idea of you're not waving the flag hard enough, you're not woke enough yeah. to convince me that you're on the right side here, um, how, do, how do you recommend people handle stuff like that? Well, do not accept the gaslighting and the shaming. You know, you, you know your own heart what you've done and not done. And if you haven't done anything uh, that should make you personally feel shameful, then don't accept the shame for it. Stand tall uh, and voice your opinion about what's right and defend it. It's, really, it's a simple thing, but we must not be cowed and turned into cringing, fearful little people who are terrified of giving offense to anybody, even to the degree, to the degree that you can't be a comic anymore. Uh, somebody as bland and as family-friendly as, as Jerry Seinfeld has given up on doing live stand-up performances because he, you know, he figures these people are going to get triggered and accuse him of all sorts of isms, so why bother with it? We've got to wow. stand up to that. Well, and it's hard to do. And, and uh, you know, as, as evidence, I would point to look how many businesses are, are furiously virtue signaling how woke they are, how committed they are to social justice, et cetera. Yep. You know, it, all a person has to do these days, thanks to the, the you know, uh, cancel mob mentality, is just state an honest opinion on social media and, and watch mm-hmm. your employer pull you in and say, I'm sorry, but uh, we're going to have to let you go because of this. Right, right. And also... To get back to this business of what's going on with the race baiting, I don't really understand just a simple matter of logic how we transcend obsessing about people's race by obsessing on race. Yeah. You know, now we have to have black this, black that, instead of, you know, let's talk about human beings and let's talk about treating each other as individuals rather than focusing on the skin color of the person who we're dealing with. You know, my son and I actually had a conversation about this as I was picking him up from work this morning. And he says, you know, people are just going off about this this white privilege that you have. And I said, you know what you ought to do when someone says, you know, that you're you're just exercising white privilege? Ask them, are you saying that because of the color of my skin? And, and push them for an answer, right. yes or no. Well, yeah. He's absolutely right. Well, then that's the what... madness of this, <laughs> I, I was having a conversation with my girlfriend about it the other day. Let's talk about the group thing and the race thing. So uh, Barack and Michelle Obama's children, uh, are, are, they're black, right? Uh, but they come from an enormously privileged background. Their parents are famous, rich, well-connected people. So all the doors in the world are open for them. They're black. Meanwhile, some kid whose parent, who's, who's the parent of a single mother living in a single wide trailer somewhere out in the woods of West Virginia, who happens to be white, is considered privileged. This is insane. We've got to take a quick break. Eric Peters is my guest. We'll be back after this. Hey, welcome back. This is the Brian Hyde Show on the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my guest. Eric, uh, we're talking about current events uh, as we do each week. I, I'm seeing a lot of reporting. No, I won't call it fear-mongering about uh, rising COVID-19 cases, yeah. n- none of which, of course, are associated with these massive protests from a couple of weeks ago. But that's beside the point. Tell me, tell me about uh, what you're seeing on the front of, oh, my gosh, it's back we better we better do some more mandatory uh you know uh 
dictates about what people should do wearing masks, etc. Well, the fear balloon was deflating. Uh, initially, they uh, used the prospect of bodies stacking up like cordwood to terrify people and to justify this turning of the country into a gigantic prison camp. Uh, but as it turns out, not many people are actually dying from this. So now uh, they're trumpeting the cases everywhere you go in almost a concerted megaphone-like manner. Uh, whether you listen to the radio, whether you watch TV or go online, uh, they're touting all of these cases. The cases are going up. The cases are going up. Well, I had a case of headache the other day. Uh, a friend of mine is going through menopause. She had a case of that. There are lots of cases of all kinds of things going on. And you notice that people aren't dying because of cases. That's the key thing, which they're not talking about, the mortality rate. Who is actually dying from the Wu flu, corona? And the, the mortality rate continues to go down. I think it's currently something like less than a half a percent. And again, as we've talked about before, it's predominantly these very old people and people who are already very sick, who are susceptible to practically anything, who get this, this bug, and the bug is just the feather that pushes them off the edge and, and causes them to die. Not a wonderful thing, but also the point is that the rest of us are not going to die from this. And you get a case of the common cold, a case of the sniffles, so what? They're being very, very dishonest and deliberately hysterical to reinflate the fear balloon so as to prevent the unlocking of the country. I know here in my home state of Utah, um, and I forget her name, I know it's Dr. Dunn, she's, she's the public health official in the state of Utah, not elected, but she sent a private memo out that apparently was leaked to the news saying that, uh, you know, well, because the cases are on the rise here and the way they're on the rise in Utah, she says it's, we're going to have to enact another extremely strict mandatory lockdown. And to his credit, yep. our governor, Gary Herbert, said we are not shutting the economy down. Now, that doesn't rule out some other restrictions, but I, I don't think the people are going to stand for it. I think I think you will see a full-blown rebellion on the hands of the, the residents of this state if they were to try that. Well, we're already seeing it. I wrote an article the other day about what happened with Spring Carlisle. Are you familiar with that? I'm not. The, the Carlisle Car Show? It's one of the biggest uh, classic car get-togethers in the entire country to have it in spring and fall. And to call it a car show is, is, is probably not accurate or adequate. It's enormous. It happens in Carlisle, PA, and it attracts usually 100,000-plus people to show their old cars, to swap parts, all this sort of thing. Well, the, the state Gesundheitsführer, a woman named Rachel Levine, had decreed that they couldn't do this because of social distancing, corona, yada, yada. The organizers of the show, show said, you know what, we're going to have our show come and stop us. And they actually had the guts to go ahead and have their show, which happened this week. And the state did not send out the Hut 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 crew to uh, arrest 100,000 people who were going there to look at their old cars and try and find parts for their old cars. They backed down. And that shows how important it is for all of us to not bow down to this stuff and say enough is enough. If you know, let's take steps to make sure the old people are safe. You know, tell them to stay home. All of that good stuff. But this idea of locking down the entire country over a bug with a mortality rate of about 0.5 percent is insane. Yeah, I you know, and it's funny. I I'm not uh, trying to ascribe any kind of evil intent to the people who are. Well, maybe we maybe we should you know uh, make everybody wear masks. I, I had a good friend who said, well, so wearing a mask con- violates your constitutional right. What about having to wear clothes? And people were falling in line. Well, yeah, I can see, you know, it really doesn't violate any constitutional rights. And I'm thinking it's it's the tree. It's it's the treating of of not wearing that mask as a criminal offense. That's the violation of the right. Of course. 
Of course, and there's a difference between a custom, which is the wearing of the clothes, and an imposition, and the presumption that the person uh, is a typhoid Mary, a separating AIDS patient who's spreading disease everywhere. It's in line with all these things that you and I have been talking about uh, for years, about presumptive guilt, about collective guilt, like the DWI checkpoints, where you have to prove that you're not a drunk. So now uh, people have to be presumed to be sick, even though the science, and we're told we must respect the science, the science just said publicly that people who are, quote, unquote, asymptomatic do not spread the flu, the Wu flu or otherwise. And that's the majority of the people out there. And it, it has to stop. It, this, you can make all kinds of really literally crazy, like almost Monty Python-esque arguments. If, we're, if, we, if we have to wear masks in order to prevent the hypothetical prospect of somebody perhaps transmitting sickness, I see no reason why we shouldn't all be forced to wear diapers, because after all, somebody <laughs> might be incontinent, too. Yeah. I mean, if it saves just you know, one you pair of pants. You can't have an accident in a public space. If you, know, if you lost control of your, you know, your bladder or your bowels in a public space, boy, that would be a horrible public health hazard. We can't have that. Everybody better wear diapers from now on. Point taken. And that's why I call these things face diapers. It's, it's sad and pathetic. That, that people have been gaslit and browbeaten uh, and, and virtue shamed uh, into this idea that they have to walk around like a sickness neurotic, like literally like a Michael Jackson, uh, like a Howie Mandel character, somebody afflicted with a problem that requires therapy, not hospitalization. Well, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely making the people who are more independent-minded stand out. And, and, and maybe not in the way that, that we would want to stand out. Well, you know, actually, that's an interesting aspect of this. And I think it dovetails with the mask mandates that we're seeing pop up all around the country. Because in the absence of the mandate, you could really clearly physically see who was somebody who was generally uh, um, susceptible to the fear porn and willing to bow and scrape and all of the rest of it, as opposed to the people who actually have an operative brain and have evaluated the data and the fact and come to a different conclusion. So you could, you could cleave and separate out sort of the sheep from the people who aren't sheep. And I think that people like my governor in the state of Virginia desperately want uh, for everybody to look like a sheep. And that's the reason they're trying to impose mask mandates everywhere. Well, Eric, let's let's shift gears. We've got about, uh, we got about uh, two minutes left here. Let's okay. talk about something automotive. I, I love to get your take on auto, automotive things. That's kind of been your bread and butter over time. Sure. But uh, what do you see on the automotive scene? First of all, are the auto manufacturers, uh, how are they weathering you know, the economic repercussions of the shutdown? Well, nobody really knows yet. It, this, the, the fallout is sort of still in the sky, and it's about to come down. We've had about a three-month period where effectively there were no sales going on because most of the car dealerships were closed. Most of the, the car assembly lines were shut down. Uh, and in the meanwhile, of course, we've had uh, the government sending out this stimulus money to businesses and to people to sort of prop up this rickety economic structure that seems destined to collapse. Um, I think the, uh, uh, the bacon's going to hit in the frying pan very shortly as we see what happens when people who no longer have any money to buy cars stop buying them and when the manufacturers uh, continue to build vehicles for which there's no market any longer. I, it's going to be a really, really rocky ride and a very interesting time over the next few months. Yeah, I, I'm not looking forward to economically what's coming, but I've been pretty distracted, you know, by the burning cities yeah. and and things like that. So I don't know. Maybe that's it's a good thing that we're we're paying you know closer attention to the immediate violence and not to what's coming, you know, in terms of economics. Well, it's hard to keep track of everything. You know, we're having to juggle from one crisis to the next, and God only knows what's going to await us when we wake up tomorrow morning. Agreed. Is is there uh, is there anything in terms of uh, 
relaxing the, uh, I think you referred to it, you know, the fatwa on, on these car manufacturers. Is there any loosening of regulations in that regard? We've seen regulations come down in some other areas. Have, have, have we seen any of that spill over into the automotive industry? No, unfortunately not. Uh, it's, in fact, gotten worse. Uh, a federal judge has, I think, rescinded uh, Trump's attempt to dial back the federal fuel economy fatwa that was going to dramatically alter forever the automotive landscape by requiring that every new car average roughly 50 miles per gallon, which of course is going to serve uh, the same purpose that the asteroid that that hit the Yucatan Peninsula 65 million (laughs) years ago had upon the dinosaurs. And of course, nobody you know nobody ever asks the question: Well, is the is the public asking for this? Are buyers asking for this? How is it that uh, that the government, which is really just a, a relative handful of people, you know, out of 330 million population, maybe a few hundred, a few thousand bureaucrats and regulators and politicians, are making all these decisions for us? How did that happen in a free country? Eric, thank you so much for being my guest. I look forward to our conversation next week. You bet. All right, welcome back to the Brian Hyde Show on the Loving Liberty Radio Network. I uh, wanted to, to share just a little bit of humor. I know there's a lot of serious stuff going on these days, and, and if there's one thing I've learned in many, many years of uh, being in the broadcast industry, it's those who take themselves too seriously eventually implode, you know, kind of like a dying star, metaphor intended, to, you know, they become kind of a black hole of sorts. So you got to be able to laugh at yourself once in a while. Nobody has helped us in this regard better than the Babylon Bee. That's why I thought you would appreciate uh, their latest article headline. Twitter introduces new send mob feature. It's got a nice picture of a tweet. Uh, Someone has tweeted the message. People should not be treated differently because of their skin color. And there's a little widget down there that you can click on that says send mob. The article says in in response to frequent and passionate requests from a handful of users... Twitter announced a new send mob feature for its popular social media platform. Now, whenever a Twitter debate gets particularly heated, Twitter's algorithm will automatically enable a send mob button, allowing users to send an angry crowd to their opponent's location. For years, Twitter has been at the cutting edge of tearing people apart for having different opinions from you, Twitter tweeted today. After a series of trial tests, we are pleased to release this feature to the public, knowing that there could be no downsides whatsoever to enabling unbridled, impulsive rage. Among the beta testers was Twitter user at Bovine Wright, who described being on the receiving end of the feature. I was just on the toilet debating some random stranger about whether milk is a symbol of white supremacy. Suddenly, there was an angry mob bursting down my busting down my bathroom door. I was so shocked I nearly well well it's a good thing I was already where I was. <laughs> I'm mostly just amazed by all the pitchforks and torches. How did they get those so quickly? He added. The article goes on to say the new feature has stirred up some debate with some critics saying it seems like overkill. However, those users were quickly chased out of town by sudden angry crowds. Honestly, we didn't have any choice, said Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. Two or three blue checked Twitter users threatened to deplatform me if we didn't add this feature. Twitter also says they're testing a tar and feather feature with eventual plans for a guillotine button. Okay, that's funny. I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. That's funny. Or at least it's it's a little more humorous than a lot of what we're facing in real life. 
man, I love the Babylon Bee. I am so grateful for them and for their ability to engage in satire. Satire is the, the it's about the only avenue we have left to, to say things that we wish we could say, but you can't say them directly. Does that make sense? I mean, historically, that's that's how satire has worked. You don't want to be seen as, as attacking this person or this ideal ideal or this, uh, you know, attitude. So you have to use something satirical. And I, you know, the onion for a long time was the go to place for great satire, at least in on current events. But I think the Babylon Bee rightly reigns as the king. Long may they reign. Saw this article yesterday, didn't have time to share it, but I want to give you some excerpts from David Harsanyi's article, Words Are Violence is the Slogan of Tyranny. He says, we're in the dawn of a high-tech, bloodless cultural revolution, one that relies on intimidation, public shaming, and economic ruin to dictate what words and ideas are permissible in the public square. Words are violence is an illiberal notion meant to stifle speech. Popularized by a generation of coddled college kids, it now guides the editorial pages of major newspapers. New York Times staffers, for example, had a meltdown over Senator Cotton's op-ed calling for deploying the military into cities. The column, they said, put black lives, quote, in danger. Now, none of the Times editors who routinely run fabulous apologias for communist tyrannies pushed back against the caustic notion that engaging in debate was an act of violence. Instead, they bowed to the internal mob and begged for forgiveness. What editor at a major newspaper is going to stand up for the ideals of open and free debate if doing so means putting black lives in danger and ends his career? And of course, the answer is few, if any. So the Times has been cleansed of reactionary elements. The paper is in the hands of the people. Others will follow. Now, you may have noticed another progressive slogan gaining circulation these days. Silence is violence. It's no longer enough to renounce wrong think in the op-ed pages of the local paper. Now you must actively champion woke progressive positions or you two are tacitly engaged in violence and racism. Now, this is a neat trick. He says to speak out in the wrong way is violence. Not to speak out is violence. Not to speak out in the way that progressives dictate is violence. This is why your apolitical local lawn care company is sending out emails promising to dedicate itself to Black Lives Matter. No one wants to be accused of harboring counter-revolutionary sympathies. And David Harsanyi says that doesn't leave much room for dissent, does it? Anyone in the public square who doesn't conform, save those who work for conservative op-ed pages or political journals perhaps, risks being humiliated and ruined. Social media have finally given our illiberal activists tools to ferret out suspicious characters and drag them in front of the digital tribunal. He says, by my count, there have been at least a dozen struggle sessions for crimes against Black Lives Matter or related issues just since last week. And by the way, there is an actual Facebook site called Let's Make Them Famous for the purpose of doxing and cancel culture mobbing people who have held opinions that apparently don't fit with what the... uh, the, the, the arbiters of free speech think it should be. D. Nyan has been fired from MTV's sports reality show The Challenge after making insensitive comments about the Black Lives Matter movement, reads one story. Sacramento's Kings play-by-play announcer Grant Napier, who's been calling games since 1988, was forced to resign after saying the words, All Lives Matter. 
Christine Barberich, an editor at a women's media outlet, was pushed out for alleged racist aggressions. Even the wording of the accusations has kind of a mildly Marxist flavor. Bon Appetit editor Adam Rappaport was booted for the same, but only after insensitive photos of him wearing a costume emerged. In not one of these cases, David Harsani says, as far as I can tell, did friends and coworkers rise to defend those whose careers may have been ruined over a bad joke, an errant comment, or stupid costume? No, they participate in the ritual shaming along with everyone else. And while these struggle sessions are primarily about public humiliation and intimidation, they're ostensibly about self-criticism, hoping to salvage his future, for example. Rappaport had confessed that he had not championed an inclusive vision, and who can blame him? By the time you read this, David Harsanyi says Saints quarterback Drew Brees will probably be on his 10th round of ritual public self-flagellation. His wife already having apologized as well for saying the words, I will never agree with anyone disrespecting the flag of the United States of America. Without apology, we're told, Breeze would have been unable to work with teammates who are offended because there is no room for dissent on this issue. Breeze promises to listen. Breeze implores all of America to listen. But in this case, listen is a euphemism for groupthink. Of course, everyone should genuinely listen. They should hear out Tom Cotton, too. Black Lives Matters is a Black Lives Matter is a group that is not only home to an inspirational sentiment and good people, but also various hard left groups and sentiments that some of us reject. It shouldn't get a dispensation from the rules every other movement lives by in a free and healthy nation. No issue should be above criticism or debate. We once called that liberalism. Again, this is from David Harsanyi. This was published in the New York Post. Phenomenal article. And it, it highlights something that I don't, I don't know if you have felt this. It all depends. You know, if, if your job is something that keeps you, you know, in the public eye or has brought you, you know, um, into, into the spotlight, you know, you do have to watch what you say. You have to be so careful because there are people just waiting to pounce for any opportunity, you know, to claim victimhood and to 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 claim that you are the source of their offense. And that's sad. But to me, what's even sadder is people who really you know don't have a, a place in the spotlight or don't even want a place in the spotlight. They just want to live their lives, run their business and be productive, good human beings. They are being cowed into silence. And I think that's really the whole goal behind this is you can never know what it's safe to think, what it's safe to say. And, and in this case, as, as Harsanyi points out, if you're just not waving the flag enthusiastically enough, well, you're suspect. Look, I'll admit, I, I may run a little bit to, to, to the extreme side when it comes to my love of liberty and my willingness to stand up for it. But how can a person not see this for the totalitarian nonsense that it is. You are not allowed to speak. I will tell you when you will speak. I will tell you what you must feel bad for. You must give me power over you. That's really what it comes down to. And I'm not saying that any of us should bring more anger into the situation. Heavens knows there's enough of that out there. And there is legitimate pain behind many of the, the people who are on this, this uh, totalitarian bent right now. There, there, there's some legitimate pain, things they've seen that have caused them to, to embrace what they're embracing. But if there was ever a time where people like you and I need to be courageous and willing to speak the truth, even if our voice shakes, this is that time. 
And thankfully, we have a platform in which we can do that. We'll be back right after this. Once again, welcome back. This is the Brian Hyde Show on the Loving Liberty Radio Network. So we were talking about masks a little bit uh, with Eric Peters earlier in the hour. Wanted to talk a little bit more about the um, idea of masks in a free society. I referenced a friend's Facebook post about, hey, what exactly of your constitutional rights is being violated, you know, through through the wearing of a mask? And, and I stand by my answer. It's, it's not so much the idea that someone is asking me, would you wear a mask or would you consider wearing a mask? It's when it becomes mandatory, meaning there's some kind of enforcement or punishment that would follow for a person not wearing a mask. That's when I start to say, uh, no, I don't think so. And, and I'm not just talking from, from government. I mean, even those stores that are probably well-meaning, maybe they're just doing what they can to, you know, mitigate harm in their minds. But uh, when it's like, you can't come in the store unless you're wearing a mask. I can't cut your hair unless you're wearing a mask. I don't know about you, but for me, there is a personal line in the sand that I'm like, I'm not going to be coerced. I just won't do it. I'll find another way. And thankfully, <laughs> thank heavens, there are black market uh, Places where I can get my hair cut, where I can get my beard trimmed, and, and uh, you know, there are ways to get the things that I need without having to go through that uh, jumping through the hoops of, of wearing a mask. So I wanted to look at the larger picture of masks in a free society. Lawrence M. Vance, in a piece that was published on LewRockwell.com earlier today, has some pretty noteworthy stuff to say about this. And I like it because uh, Lawrence Vance is, is not only a very fearless defender of freedom, but, I mean, he is willing to, to speak truths that a lot of people will find difficult, maybe even painful, to consider. And I'm not saying you have to agree with him, but I'm suggesting that you'll have a better understanding of, of what's at stake, whether you agree with him or not, if you consider how he approaches this idea of masks in a free society. Lawrence Vance says that I think the idea of healthy people wearing face masks when they're out in public is ludicrous, ridiculous, stupid, silly, comical, unhealthy, and harmful. But, he says, I offer here a qualified defense of masks in the context of a free society and private property rights. He says, not content with playing dictator and issuing decrees for their subjects to stay at home, close their unessential businesses, stop going to parks and playgrounds, and practice anti-social distancing, Governors and mayors all around the country are now starting to mandate that all of their subjects wear a face mask when going out in public, unless they are rioting, protesting, or looting. On June 18th, California Governor Gavin Newsom ordered California residents statewide to wear a mask when out in public. Quote, simply put, we are seeing too many people with faces uncovered, putting at risk the real progress we have made in fighting the disease, said Newsom. California's strategy to restart the economy and get people back to work will only be successful if people act safely and follow health recommendations. That means wearing a face covering, washing your hands, and practicing physical distancing. End quote. Now, Lawrence Vance says in his county, Orange County, Florida, the fascist mayor, Jerry Demings, issued a, an executive order June 18th mandating mask wearing starting June 20th. Every person working, living, visiting, or doing business in Orange County is required to wear a face covering consistent 
with the current CDC guidelines while in any public place. Now, regarding businesses, this is what the order says, quote, all businesses are strongly encouraged to follow CDC guidelines or industry standards on face coverings and social distancing. Businesses are reminded that Executive Order 2020-12 requires that both employees and patrons of businesses that require employees and patrons to be within six feet must wear a face mask or covering unless the wearing of the patron's face mask or covering would impede the patron's service, in which case only the service provider must wear a face mask or covering. All businesses are, are encouraged to prohibit entry of each person who is not wearing a face covering, with the exception of the below-listed persons. So these are the people for whom a face covering is not required. Persons under the age of two years old, or persons for whom a face covering would cause impairment due to an existing health condition, or persons working in a profession who do not have any face-to-face interactions with the public, or persons working in a profession where the use of a face covering will not be compatible with the duties of the profession, or persons exercising while observing social distancing in accordance with the CDC guidelines. But notice also who's exempt from the mayor's order. This order does not apply to employees and patrons of first response, government, health care or medical, veterinarian, shelter or rehabilitation, child care, utility providers, construction or transit agencies. Interesting who's accepted from that, huh? Regarding penalties for violating his order, the mayor says there's no criminal penalties yet and that our goal is to gain voluntary compliance. Now, Lawrence Vance says since this order took effect, I have visited several local businesses. All of them have new signs posted saying that wearing a mask is required to enter their establishment. He says, I've entered several of them without a mask to test the waters, and no employees in any of the businesses have said anything to me. However, he says, I do believe that the mayor has gained almost universal voluntary compliance, at least when it comes to people going to stores. In the stores that he went into, he said, I saw hardly anyone without a mask on. Meanwhile, in New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo issued an executive order giving store owners the right to deny entry to those who do not wear masks. But in Wisconsin, after the state Supreme Court overturned the the governor's state lockdown order and mandated that all future statewide restrictions to battle the coronavirus must be approved by the legislature, the owner of a campground banned people from wearing masks at her place of business. Quote, masks are not allowed in the buildings for safety's sake. They are viewed as a robbery in progress and will be handled that way. I added no masks when entering my main building because this is the perfect time for bad guys to take advantage of any small business and rob them because it's now normal to wear a mask. She said, now I do understand there are people who wear a mask because of their delicate health situation like cancer or recent surgery. I know these people. Their stature is much different than a six foot two male entering an establishment aggressively with intent to do harm. And in Texas, a bar owner is prohibiting patrons from wearing masks as an attempt to push back on the snitches and contact tracers during the coronavirus pandemic. The bar posted a notice reading, due to our concern for our citizens, if they feel the need to wear a mask, then they should probably stay home until it's safe. Now, Lawrence Vance says, I support business owners in Florida and New York, but I also support business owners in Wisconsin and Texas. Even though I think the idea of healthy people wearing masks when they're out in public is ridiculous, stupid, silly, ludicrous, comical, unhealthy, and harmful, I support the right of businesses to require or prohibit masks on their patrons, even if their decisions are unscientific, politically motivated, or based on government propaganda or misinformation. Why? Because I support the right of businesses to require or prohibit red shirts, green shirts, blue shirts, yellow shirts, pink shirts, black shirts, or 
No shirts at all. Just like I support the right of businesses to discriminate against anyone on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, hairstyle, hair color, facial hair, tattoos, scars, height, weight, age, complexion, head covering, political ideology, or disability. And he says this is true no matter how irrational, illogical, unreasonable, or nonsensical the discrimination is. And even if it's based on stereotypes or prejudice, hatred, bigotry, racism, intolerance, sexism, xenophobia, homophobia, or nothing at all. And even if it appears to be arbitrary, capricious, subjective, unfair, or unjustified. He says, I support these things because I believe in a free society and private property rights. In a free society, property rights are paramount. He who owns the property establishes the rules for entry, employment, and activity. And that is true whether the property is a private residence or a place of business. In a free society, property owners would have the absolute right to refuse entrance, service, or employment to anyone for any reason. If a business mandates that I wear a mask to enter the premises, assuming that this will be enforced, I will take my business elsewhere. I may not like the business's decision. I may complain about it. I may try to get others to boycott the business. But the business should have the right to require masks just like it should also have the right to prohibit them. Consistency requires that one accept both premises. In a free society, he says this is exactly the way things ought to work for everything. If a business wants to sell or to serve only patrons, sell to or serve only patrons of a particular race, color, religion, national origin, gender, sexual orientation, political ideology, age or IQ, or exclude only patrons of a particular race, color, religion, national origin, gender, sexual orientation, political ideology, age or IQ, then it should have the right to do so. And in a free society, it would have the right to do so. But the problem is, we don't live in a free society as he has written about many times and will continue to do so. So just to be clear, a government mandate to businesses that they must require their patrons to wear masks is the antithesis of a free society. I don't know if if you agree or disagree. We'll open up the phone lines in the next hour, and you can weigh in if you would like. Personally, I don't want to wear a mask, although I'm not going to rule out the possibility that I would wear a mask under certain conditions. If I were going to visit someone who I knew to be in a high-risk category for infection, absolutely, at their request, could you wear a mask? I would wear a mask for them. But I don't want to play along with all of the fear theater just because someone in authority said something. I hope you can understand that distinction. We'll be back in the next hour. (laughs) 